In the realm of true crime, every crime scene tells a story. Every story has its truths. These are the stories from inside the crime scene tape that separates fact from fiction. The true crime reporter never settles for standing outside the yellow crime scene tape. You knock on doors, dig through records, and cultivate sources to get to the bottom of the story. I'm Robert Riggs, the host and creator of the True Crime Reporter podcast, back with another story from three decades of investigative reporting. In this episode, I pulled out my reporter's notebooks, my law enforcement sources opened up their confidential case files, we sat down together to talk. And you can listen in to our journey into darkness. But before you do, be advised that this podcast is for a mature audience and not for the faint of heart. Some episodes may contain profanity and graphic details of violent crimes. As Kenneth McDuff's date with the Texas executioner drew closer, the serial killer kept the location of Colleen Reed's body a closely guarded secret. McDuff kidnapped the 28-year-old accountant from an Austin car wash in December of 1991. The serial killer was now set to die on November 17, 1998. Seven years had passed since his accomplice, Alva Hank Worley, Saul McDuff put Ms. Reed's body into the trunk of his car late at night in rural central Texas near the home of McDuff's parents. We read an abbreviated version of Worley's confession to you in an earlier episode. And in our last episode, I explained how an informant obtained the location of two women's bodies during visits with McDuff on death row. But McDuff hoped for a last-minute appeal that might delay his execution. So, he held on to the incriminating secret of where he had buried the 28-year-old Austin woman. How do you get a dead man walking to talk? Serial killer Kenneth McDuff sat on Texas death row with a secret he had no interest in sharing. After all, what did McDuff have to gain by revealing where he buried his last known victim, 28-year-old Colleen Reed? The hours ticked away toward his execution. What can you possibly give a condemned man to make him talk? In this case, an appointment with a prison dentist. McDuff came down with a painful toothache. Prison investigator John Moriarty jumped on an opportunity to make a deal. When he came in and he sat down, he was complaining about his toothache. So anyway, I excused myself. I went out and I talked to the warden. And um, I told the warden, um, you know, that he needed to tell him that it'd be two weeks till he saw the dentist. So um, anyway, <clears throat> when he, he came back in the next morning, we were there a couple yeah. of days and... and um, uh, and the warden had told him it'd be two weeks. So I said, well, 
uh, when he came back in, and I said, well, let me see what I can do. And so I left the room. I came back. I already had the deal cut before that. Yeah. But I said, here's the deal. You get up, you know, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, and you can walk in, and the dentist will fix your tooth. But you need to come in, sit down, sit in that chair across from us and give us where Colleen Reed's body is. You don't worry that he'll renege? Well, I mean, you really don't have much of a twist on somebody that's yeah. on death row. That was the opportunity. Um, and he kept, he kept his word. He came back in, he sat down, and he actually drew a map also um, of where the body was located. U.S. Attorney Bill Johnston, U.S. Marshals Parnell and Mike McNamara, ATF Agent Chuck Meyer and Austin Homicide Detective J.W. Thompson who worked on the Colleen Reed case, followed McDuff's hand-drawn map. The map terminated at a remote spot by a river in Falls County, McDuff's old stomping grounds from high school, back when he and his pistol-packing mama terrorized the good people of Rosebud. Investigators converged on the location with shovels and a tractor. The tractor slowly scraped inch after inch of topsoil away with a rear blade. The earth yielded no clues. Then, pouring rain halted the search. Investigators returned the next day with a bulldozer. They dug a four-foot-deep square hole the size of a large swimming pool. They found buried animal bones and trash from the nearby river, but no sign of Colleen Reed's remains. Johnston says everyone grew frustrated. Then, John Moriarty suggested bringing Kenneth McDuff to the side of the dig. And so Moriarty had said, Bill, you know, we can bring him out here. I said, I don't want that jerk getting credit for anything. He'll act like he's, you know, he's wagging us around like a, you know, pulling us around like a monkey on a string and probably lie to us anyway. So, okay, okay. And I had no business probably telling him that, but I just, I hated for the McDuff to come out there and have one last glory, you know. So anyway, uh, we couldn't find her. And it's now getting late in the day. And I said, if you, I said, how can you bring him off death row? Oh, well, we can do it. Moriarty made some calls to prison officials. His investigators moved McDuff off death row into their car. And armed escort car followed. I got him off of death row and brought him out to the scene. We had media there at the time on this bridge nearby the location. And... Um, outside of Waco, and, and uh, we actually disguised him and snuck him in past the media in, in one of the cars, and he, he wasn't on the scene more than a couple minutes and said, right over here, even though the terrain had changed tremendously with trees growing and that kind of thing. And McDuff sat in the back of the prison investigator's car. He gave directions to an agent who shouted instructions to Bill Johnston. He was in the car back of the car and we had an agent talking to him and we got some sticks flags and stuff and four of us and he said no she's over here and he he was probably 30 or 40 yards from us and he would direct us have that man in the green jacket move this way have it have bill move over here bill get bill get moved two feet closer he was like he was directing traffic and he directed us into a rectangle and he told the agent, the skeleton's right there, head facing this way. And so as he made that second pass, 
over this, let's say, let's say 10 foot by six foot rectangle, I saw something uh, off colored, sort of a whitish yellow. I saw something and I marked uh, the spot with my shovel and the bulldozer guy kept going forward and then backed up. When he backed up, I didn't see it anymore, but I had marked it. So I went, I crawled a few feet forward on my hands and knees and I, I used my fingers to just pull the dirt, pull the dirt where I'd seen that. And it was a skull. And uh, it had been caved in just a little bit by the weight of the bulldozer. And I pulled enough apart, and now I knew that was Colleen Reed. Seven years had passed since McDuff had kidnapped, tortured, and murdered the 28-year-old woman. McDuff remembered exactly where he had buried her. So what is it about a McDuff that after all those years, he knows exactly where the body is in a remote area. Well, you know, there's a lot of theory about it, but uh, I mean, it's definitely, I believe um, that, you know, they, they relive those killings in their mind and, and um, they fantasize about it. You know, it's, it's what, what, what gets them aroused and, and um, he knew exactly where she was. Johnston, Austin homicide detectives and ATF agents who worked on the case got down on their hands and knees. They painstakingly scraped away dirt to recover the skeletal remains of Colleen Reed. McDuff was last seen putting her body into the trunk of his car. Parnell McNamara says investigators did not want to take Colleen Reed back home to Austin in the same manner that she had been murdered. Austin Detective J.W. Thompson and ATF agent Chuck Meyer respectfully placed Ms. Reed's wrapped remains in the back seat of their car. It was a big sense of relief. We just couldn't believe that seven years after he killed these people that we were actually recovering their remains. You know, and it had been such a mystery. Where are these people that he carried off in the dark? What did he do with them? Well, he knew exactly he could go to visit their grave in the middle of the night and stand on it. And so we were so relieved, and, you know, we would call the, the relatives and the family and let them know that we had recovered because all of them wanted some sort of closure, some finality of a, of a funeral service or something. And I remember when the guys got ready to carry Colleen's remains back to Austin, we— we were very emotional about it because we knew what had happened to her. We knew what he'd done to her. And so the ATF guys were there. Uh, I think J.W. Thompson, people from Austin. And I remember they said, we're not going to put her in the trunk. She's ridden in the trunk of a car her last time. So they carried her remains inside the car with them to Austin. That's how much this case affected everybody. Oh, it did. And then at her funeral service. Uh, and, I, and you're tearing up right now. It's, it's yeah. still, you know, sometimes at night when I think about what he did to these people, these innocent people, I, I can't sleep at night. 
I'm not a tough cop. It still affects me. Um, I know it affected Mike. I know it affected Sheriff Pamplin. Uh, I saw how it affected his father. And uh, just knowing what happened. Bill Johnston says investigators felt a great sense of relief. Colleen Reed's family could now give her a proper funeral service. It was like the last page being turned in, in something where you had to get to that page. You had to get to the page and see it and turn it. Um, of all the people involved in this case, we had come to know Lori Bible, who's Colleen Reed's sister very well, adored her um, through the years, kept track of her. And, <clears throat> and we wanted to find her sister before it was too late because obviously, particularly where she was, she would have never been found. So it was something we wanted to do for her. It had nothing to do with the legal process, had nothing to do with any case. It was just uh, for Colleen and, and Lori. One final page remained to be closed on this terrible tragedy. Where were more than a dozen of Kenneth McDuff's unidentified victims buried across the Texas countryside? John Moriarty was determined to write that final chapter. He had two weeks left before the scheduled date of McDuff's execution. Moriarty spent 40 hours talking with McDuff in the prison infirmary. McDuff casually recalled torturing animals in his childhood and his first attempt to abduct a girl when he was 12 years old. McDuff told Moriarty he would drive hundreds of miles hunting women. That was McDuff's exact word, hunting. I had the opportunity to, um, to do his timeline <clears throat> and about the use of the credit cards. He had his mother's or parents' credit card at the time. <clears throat> and um, so we subpoenaed all of those records for years. And he had movement all over Texas, East Texas, uh, Houston, uh, you know, they, there were women missing. <clears throat> and we knew that from interviews that he frequented uh, strip clubs in, in East Texas near Tyler. And <clears throat> we had we had interviews that he had uh, raped his own sister. I mean, um, just, you know. Uh, monstrous. Monstrous stuff, yeah. And uh, that, that no human being would do to another human being. And. I got him to talk, talk in the in the in the uh, uh, if somebody was to do this or when somebody you know not hypothetically not, hypothetically yeah uh, if if somebody was doing this how how would this happen and but he kind of strayed from it um, you know he talked about well the probably the most chilling thing he told me was because he strayed from it uh, it wasn't hypothetical anymore obviously. Um, he told me that you know, he had taken Colleen Reed out to the location where the where, where she was found, and um, that she had run off from him, and that he couldn't catch her. And he said it was just like the movies. I said, "What do you mean it was just like the movies?" He said, "You ever seen the movies where they're screaming and yelling and running and looking behind them and they trip?" He said. Um, there was no way I would have caught her, but she tripped, and I was on her. 
And he said, that was that. I mean, the hair on the back of my neck stood up when he was talking about it. Moriarty says McDuff basically confessed to the murders of Colleen Reed, Melissa Northrup, and Regina Moore. But the serial killer evaded every question about where his other victims were buried. He referred to the women as, well, it was, it was, it was, it was it. They're objects, they're not people. He, conf- he confessed to me uh, about the ones we knew about. Um, there, were, there were three uh, that he gave me. In your career, was there ever a case like this? Never. And what made it so different? Just that he was so brutal and, and so um, uncaring um, uh, regarding his victims. I mean, I've, I've dealt with serial rapists and murderers and, and all sorts of people, but, um, you know, uh, this guy was just a sexually sadistic killer that had no conscience and was a true sociopath. Next on True Crime Reporter, Kenneth McDuff utters his last words in the Texas death chamber. And so, what a sense of relief. And we walked out of there. I knew that dirty, low-life, scumbag, piece of gutter trash would never hurt anybody else on this earth. We want to be your favorite podcast and we'll appreciate your review wherever you are listening to this podcast. If you have a suggestion or know of a case we should look into, email us at fan at truecrimereporter.com. To follow our email messages with updates and bonus information from episodes, please join our fan base at truecrimereporter.com. True Crime Reporter is a trademarked and copyrighted news production hosted and written by me, Robert Riggs, executive producer, Elizabeth Arnold, producer and operations manager, Grace Woodward, producer, Siler Burr, original music for the Free to Kill series, Blair King, sound design for Free to Kill, Matt Stoker, graphics, Brian David Kerr. You can read more about all of our news team members at truecrimereporter.com. Please tell your friends who love true crime that they can bypass secondhand tales and get their true crime fix here with authentic stories straight from the source. Tell them that True Crime Reporter is one of the few podcasts where you can hear raw, unfiltered accounts from law enforcement victims and even convicted criminals. And sign up for my free newsletter on the homepage of truecrimereporter.com. It's your gateway to a world of knowledge and awareness in the realm of true crime and your personal safety. Thanks for listening, and until we meet again, be prepared, don't get scared. This is Robert Riggs reporting.